Let's talk about week number five, I think it is, in case you missed it. What we've been doing in this series is we're taking a look at some somewhat obscure stories in the Old Testament, and we're taking a look at what we can learn about life, about faith today. You know, these are, these are stories from, you know, thousands of years ago. I hope you've been enjoying this series. I have been. Tracy and I have a young professionals small group uh, at our home on Monday nights, so if you're a young professional and you want to join us, it's just a bunch, of, a bunch of us young people. And I remind them of that every time we get together. I'm like, man, it's really good to just be here with young people like ourselves, you know? And then they laugh at that, like, I don't know why they're laughing at that. But anyway, young, we have our young professional small group. There are a lot of other small groups. I encourage you, if you haven't yet joined one, get into a small group. You can find a listing on our website. But jump into a small group because we unpack these things a little bit more. The sermon can only do so much. There's so much more you can get, get out of it when you talk about it with your family, with your small group, or if you have a mentor, when you unpack it in those contexts. And today's message is a great one for that because we're going to talk about the story that you might not know about. It's the story of Elisha and the angel army. And before we even jump into it and, and read, the, read the text and try to understand it, unpack it today, I just want to get you to have a situation in your life that seems impossible. Now, maybe some of you are here today and you say, that is so easy because I am in one right now. I am in an impossible situation, and I'm not really sure what to do about it. Well, today's story is for you. Now, some of you, maybe, by the grace of God, you don't have a situation like that right now, but pay attention because you might tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday. So be ready and learn from this story from thousands of years ago, and we're going to extract three lessons on prayer from the story of Elisha and the angel army. Now, if you're if, you're, if you were here last week and you see this name, Elisha, you might be thinking, wait a second, I thought his name was Elijah, because last week we talked about Elijah in the story from the, from the prophet Elijah. Well, actually, there's the, Elijah's successor was Elisha, two different guys. They were both prophets around the same time, and so this is the prophet right after Elijah, so it really, historically, it follows up on what we talked about last week in the story. Now, before I read the story, I'm going to just, I'm going to tell you the first point, and I want you to soak in the first point, and then we're going to read the story. Can we do that? All right, here's the first thing we're going to learn about prayer. Prayer trains us to respond with peace instead of fear in the midst of life's trials. Now, think about that statement for a second. What prayer does, this is kind of a proactive statement. Prayer trains us to respond with peace instead of fear. If you, if you right now, if you don't have a prayer life, then your natural response to situations, I can almost guarantee it, your natural response to a situation when you're, when you're in it, in the midst of it, your natural response is going to be fear. Because that's just how we're built. We're built to respond with anxiety and fear when stuff goes wrong in our lives. So the way that you proactively handle that is you develop a prayer life and nurture a prayer life, you develop a connection with God in prayer, even in the good times. Some of you are here today saying, this message isn't for me. Things are going great in my life. Don't say that. Don't tempt God. But you should really pay attention, especially this first point, because right now, the best way to be proactive about what can come in life, the ups and downs in life, you know, God's word doesn't promise us as followers of Jesus that everything is going to go great. You're a Christian. 
Your neighbor's not a Christian, so a tornado comes through town and his house is going to go down, not yours. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God makes the sun, the sun shine on the, on the good and, and on the bad, on the godly and on the ungodly. He makes the rain to fall on the godly and the ungodly. The droughts that were happening in, in the western United States, the Christian farmers were not spared from those droughts. So, so bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. And so for those of you who are followers of Jesus, if you want to be ready and, and if you want your kids to be ready for the trials that are going to inevitably come in their lives, one of the best things that you can do or you can teach your kids to do is to develop a prayer life so that you're training yourself when, the, when those times come, you're training yourself to handle it with peace instead of with fear. And this is what we're going to see in the story. All right, let's look at the story. If you have a Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 14. It says this, one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God, the man of God in this story is Elisha, when, the, when Elisha's servant got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. And the young, the young man cried to Elisha, Oh, sir, what will we do now? Now, this is a completely normal response of Elisha's servant. He sees this army advancing against them, way bigger than their army, way bigger than anything that they could muster up, and he is seriously in trouble. Now, some of you might say, are you sure it's, oh, sir, what will we do now? Some of you might say something just a little different than that. Maybe just a little different than that. What will we do now? This is the NLT, so we really make sure that it's family friendly. <laughs> Take a look at Elisha's response in verse 16. And I want you to think of this as the response of a man of prayer. Because Elisha was a prophet of God, which means he was always in communication with God. That's just what that means. Maybe nobody else was. I don't think his servant was. But Elisha was always in, in constant communication with God as a prophet of God. And he says this, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now, I'll explain what he means by that here just in just a second as we get to the next point. But for right now, I just want you to look at his response. His servant is responding the way probably most of us would respond. And I admit it, even me. When, when years ago, when, when the doctor said I had, I had, I had a cancerous growth, and that it was eating away at my, at my body. And by the way, it wasn't true, but for three weeks, that's the information we had. And my response was more like the oh sir response. You like that? The oh sir response. Some of you might say that's, that's, how, that's how I responded in this current crisis I'm in. It's this oh sir response because, because maybe in, in, your, in your connection with God, it, it hasn't had this breakthrough where where it's so solid that you're going to respond like Elisha does here, where Elisha says, don't be afraid, don't worry about it. Because there are more on our side than on their side. And I'm sure that the servant was saying, do you know how to count, Elisha? I don't think there are more on our side than on their side. Because numerically there were not. Physically there were not. With the eyes that the servant could see, there were not. 
that Elisha apparently could see something else, and it's because he had trained himself in his relationship with God. He had trained himself to trust God no matter what happens. Man, what a skill that would be. What a gift that would be to be able to trust God no matter what happens. Life throws you a curveball, and you can, you, your immediate response, man, wouldn't that be great? I pray that the next time we get, Tracy and I get one of those phone calls, I pray that the next time my response is one of peace. I won't know till it happens. All I know is that years ago when I went through this and I felt like I was a man of God and my response was disappointing to me because it was filled with anxiety and fear. And I remember afterwards when we got through all that, I, one, of my, one of my prayers to God was, God, help me next time this happens. Help me to respond in a more faithful, godly way. And, I, and time will tell. This is what we pray for our kids. We pray for our, our 21-year-old daughter, our 18-year-old son. We pray that they're developing a prayer life such that when something happens in their life that they can't control, and that's going to happen, and that we can't control as their parents, our, my prayer is their response is one of faith instead of fear. And I, and I hope that that's your prayer as well. The New Testament tells us how this works, and Paul says it like this. I think it's, it's a great parallel passage in the New Testament. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Isn't that interesting? The opposite of worry is prayer. The antidote to worry is prayer. So Paul's telling us exactly what I think we're learning in the story from Elisha. Paul says, don't worry. Instead of worrying, here's what you should insert instead of worrying, prayer. So when you, when you feel anxiety and worry coming up, prayer should be that proactive first response rather than kind of the last ditch effort. We try to do everything we can do to try to make the situation better, to try to regain control of the situation. And Paul says, no, the first thing you should do is pray. Like stop and say, hey, can we just pray? Let's pray about this. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, think about that in your life. It's so easy to want to just fix the problem. Whatever the problem is, you're just working hard at fixing it. I get it. You're working hard at fixing it. Try this. Try just stopping your family, stopping your your in the midst of that marriage struggle and just say, could we just pray? Because this is what Paul says to do. It's this, it's this response that, that trains you then to have peace. And this is what he says. Tell God what you need. And by the way, thank him for all that he's done. That's a really good antidote to worry. Because what worry does is it gets you focused on all the junk that's happening rather than all the good stuff that's happened in your life. And so that's a great tip right there. He says, thank, thank him for the, all these done. And then he says, you will experience God's peace, which is apparently what Elisha was experiencing. And that peace exceeds anything we can understand. Man, isn't that true? To see, to see followers of Jesus, I want to be this someday, followers of Jesus that just have this transcendent peace. Like even when they can't control the situation, they just have incredible peace. I look at some of these pastors who are getting thrown into prison for still worshiping, you know, in Canada, you know, and I'm like, I don't know if I could do that because I'm claustrophobic. So I might be like, Pastor Eric, why don't you step up? Why don't you be the voice of Alpine Church in this situation? I just really feel like God has chosen, you're the man, God has chosen you to be that guy. But like I think about like stupid stuff like that, I'm like, could I even... 
Could it, in that situation, if I'm in a jail cell, jail cell, and Paul was too, you, I mean, you read this throughout history and in the Bible, and I'm like, could I even do something like that? I don't even know. I'll be, I'm just being honest with you. I don't even know. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that, that is thrown into a situation and my response is peace. Well, the, the, the thing that I can do right now to train myself for that day is to pray. And the same is true for you and for me. Let's keep, let's keep reading this story. Second thing we're going to learn is that prayer opens our eyes to a spiritual battle that is more real than what we can physically see. Now, this might be a little bit of a weird point for some of you, but hang with me on this because it's biblical even though it's weird. So here's the story in case you missed it. Back to 2 Kings. So Elisha prayed. Remember, the servant's like, I'm freaking out. There's too many of them. Elisha's like, don't worry about it. There's more with us than with them, right? And, and the servant was like, what are you talking about? And here's what he prays. He says, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't pray for God's power to be revealed. He doesn't pray for, the, for lightning bolts from heaven to strike this army of the Arameans. He says, God, I pray that you would open that guy's eyes so he can see. Today, when you're at lunch with your friends or with your, with your family, I just challenge you to, hey, let's pray before the meal, and I just want you to point at the people that you want to have more faith. Lord, I pray for that person that he will have more eyes to see, because it's biblical. That's what Elisha was doing. Lord, I pray, and bless the food too, but I pray for that person that you give him more faith and you give him more peace. That's what he does. He says, Lord, open his eyes, because he clearly can't see the reality that I can see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. How cool is that? So apparently what happened is Elisha, from the moment the Aramean army got there, Elisha could see the angel army on the hillside around it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Balaam story, Balaam's donkey. The donkey could see this angel of the Lord, but Balaam couldn't see it. And here now, Elisha can see all these angels, this army, this angelic army surrounding them. But he didn't realize that, the, that his servant couldn't see it. So he prays for the servant's eyes to be opened, to see that they weren't outnumbered after all. And again, the point is this, and I want you to apply this to your lives today because I know this seems like a, an Old Testament story that has no bearing on your story today, but just hang with me because it does. There is a spiritual battle in your situation. There is a spiritual battle going on around you, at work, at home, in your relationships, in the financial situations that you're up against, whatever it is, whatever that thing is, if you have anxiety right now in your life. There's a spiritual battle going on, and if you're not aware of it, you're missing it. The stuff that we're up against in this world is not just physical. I know that's so hard to understand. It's so hard to wrap your mind around, especially today. But the stuff that you, we go up against in our world today is not just physical. There's a spiritual component to it. Let's put some scripture up next to this. Ephesians 6, back to the New Testament. Ephesians 6, verse 12. This is a great passage. Study this this week. I encourage you, if you're trying to understand this spiritual battle, Paul talks about it in the New Testament, and he says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. The stuff we cannot see. He says, against mighty powers 
in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And you're like, whoa, what just happened here? Are you sure that's in the Bible? Because that doesn't, that doesn't sound like stuff we talk about here at Alpine Church. That sounds a little weird. That sounds a little creepy. So let's read it again. I love reading creepy things. Halloween, let's read it again. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And by the way, young people, this is why you should be careful this time of year when our culture celebrates evil. Halloween's not bad. Celebrating trick-or-treating is not bad. It doesn't have to be bad. It's not unbiblical, it's not ungodly, but there's a line that you can cross, young people, maybe it's not just young people, all, you, all, all of us, there's a line you can cross. Let's be careful because that stuff's not just in movies. There is a real battle in the unseen world and we should not invite that into our homes. We should not invite that into our lives. But this is more than just a Halloween verse. This is just talking about your everyday, day in and out life. There is something at work that is beyond what your eyes can see. That's what the Bible says. So what do we do about it? Well, Paul, what Paul does here is, is the very next verse, again, read this for yourself, Ephesians chapter 6, but in the very next verses, he talks about putting on the armor of God. Isn't that interesting? He says there's this battle that you can't see. There's this battle that's out there that you have to fight. So what's the response? He says, well, put on the armor of God. And there's six things in the armor of God. Let's go through it real quick. Number one, the belt of truth. So what you're envisioning here is he's, he's dressing up a Roman soldier with his battle gear, getting ready to fight this spiritual battle. And so these aren't physical things that you're putting on because it's a spiritual battle. These are spiritual things. And the first spiritual thing you put on is the belt of truth. Truth is that the belt in, in, a, in a soldier's getup, the belt was the thing that held it all together. Truth is what holds it all together. Truth is what fights the lies. It's what fights the, the counter-narrative that's out there. So the number one thing is to put on truth. And by the way, God's word is the way we understand what is true and what's not true. So if you're not in God's word, you're never going to win the spiritual battle. You're going to fall for the lies, and you're going to lose. You're going to be defeated. Number two, he talks about the body armor of righteousness. In, in older translation, says the breastplate of righteousness. This is the thing that goes right over here. And it what does it protect? It protects your heart. Righteousness protects your heart. When you, when you make a commitment to honoring God in your life, it ends up protecting your heart. And then the third thing he says, put on the shoes of peace. He says, strap up your, strap up your feet. And what, what, is, what he's saying here is be ready to go out and share the gospel is what he's saying there. So followers of Jesus, remember that that is a big part of this whole spiritual battle that we fight is we have, to, we have to always be sharing the gospel because there is power in the gospel. The simple statement that Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead to save you and to free you, that statement can change lives. It's one of the most, it's one of the most spiritual weapons that we have to be able to share the gospel. And then he says, put on, he says, take up the shield of faith. And so he says, what your faith is, it's like this shield that, that fights against these darts of the enemy as, as the enemy is trying to, trying to beat you with these fiery arrows. He says, that shield of faith, your faith will defeat that. And then he talks about, this might be my favorite one. He talks about the helmet of salvation. And in 2 Thessalonians, he actually calls it the helmets of the confidence of your salvation. And the reason I like this one so much is because 
What, is the, what does a helmet protect? It protects your head. It protects your mind. And so what he's saying is, especially if you look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians, he's saying that, that if, you, if, you would, if you would protect your mind, if you would recognize that, that you, are, you have confidence in your salvation because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did, then that actually protects you. So many of us could, can, can sort of get all up in our own heads and wonder if, if have I done enough to be saved? We wonder really, we, we actually start questioning the very gospel message. And Paul says, no, you need to put on the helmet of salvation. You need to protect your mind and recognize that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. I love that one. And then the last one is, is the offensive one. He says, take up the sword of the spirit, which he says is the word of God. So let's learn how to use the word of God well. What is this? This is all the... the the, bot, the armor of God that we put on in, in order to fight those battles that are not physical battles, they're spiritual battles. And then he ends all of it, this is all in Ephesians 6, he ends all of it, this whole conversation in Ephesians, he ends it with this statement in verse 18. And pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So what does he say? Again, they go back to that Elisha story. He says, pray. How do you win a spiritual battle? You pray. If you aren't praying, I, I hope you understand what I'm putting down here. If you aren't praying, brothers and sisters, if you aren't learning to pray, if you aren't developing a prayer life, you will not be equipped for the spiritual battle that you will fight for the rest of your life. So learn how to pray. It'll open your eyes to that. All right, here's the last thing because there's something really cool that you gotta still see in this story, so we have to hurry and finish. Prayer does this, it submits us to a God who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. At the end of the day, that's what prayer does. What prayer does, it doesn't just get me ready for a battle, what prayer does is it allows me to submit to God who's in control, and I'm not. Because isn't that really what it comes down to a lot of times? The stuff in our lives that we get anxious about, we're anxious about it because we cannot control it. Because we realize that we've run up against our own, our own authority, our own power. We've run out. And so what prayer does is, is it submits us to the God who is in control. And we begin to say, God, your will be done, not mine. I can't control this thing anyway. This is your deal. Why don't you do what you need to do? And prayer helps us to do that. Let's see how that happened in this story. Because what I've loved about all of these sermons in this whole series is there's a twist at the end of every one of them. Have you noticed that? We didn't, I'll be honest, we didn't even realize that as we were choosing these stories in the Old Testament, but every single story has this really cool twist. And here's the twist in this story. It says that the, as the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed. So now he's praying a second prayer. The first prayer was to open the eyes of his servant. The second prayer is the opposite, is please make them blind. Open this guy's eyes, but make those guys blind. And that's what he does. And the Lord strikes them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. And then Elisha went out and told them, hey, you've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me, and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. Just, i got to pause here for a second. There's just so much here. We're almost out of time. The angel army didn't do a thing. The angel army didn't end up doing a thing. What was, he there? what was the angel army there for? 
It was so that the servant could understand that God was in control. And then God just ends up handling the situation even without the angel army. You're expecting the angel army to descend upon them and slaughter them all, aren't you? You were expecting that. You've seen too many movies. It's exactly what you were expecting. But that's not what happened. It's like Elisha comes out, hey, guys, come this way instead. And he leads them to this other city, the city of Samaria, where his king is and their army is. And when the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? I mean, could you see this in a movie? This is totally movie worthy. And look at what Elisha says. Of course not. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. Wah, wah, wah. Like, aren't you like, that's a dumb ending. Where's the bloodshed? Why, why doesn't God just show his power and authority? What, I don't understand. What, what was the whole point? The whole point was God does what God wants to do. The whole point is God's the sovereign one. The whole point is that God's in control. You're not in control. And the way the story ends for you might not be the way you would have written it if you were God. It might, the situation that you're in right now might not end the way you're praying even. The situation that you're struggling with right now might have a different ending that you didn't see coming, just like this ending. The point is what prayer does for us as we, as we go through the ups and downs of our life, as we learn to be people of prayer, as we learn to train ourselves on this discipline of prayer, as we learn to put on the body armor of God so that we can fight a battle that isn't just physical but that's also spiritual. But at the end of the day, what God always wants to do in our lives is he always wants us to get ourselves in proper relationship with him. He's God. We're not. Too many people today, even, even people who call themselves Christians, you can find these people on TV, televangelists, with big hair and shiny teeth. Don't trust them. Never trust a man with hair. <laughs> not that good a hair, at least, you know. Decent hair, but not that good a hair. What they do is they say, they, there's this message, there's this false message in the world today, and especially in America today, there's this false message that says, hey, you pray it and God will give it to you, whatever you want, because you're in charge, and that's not true. God's in charge, you're not in charge. So the first part of that is true, you should pray, and you should, you should bring your request to God, you should ask him for things, but at the end of the day, you should say, God, your will be done, not mine, because you're God, I'm not, you're in control, I'm not. And isn't that the solution to understanding how to, how to navigate through these ups and downs in life? Isn't just to say, I want my way, God, and until I get my way, I'm not going to be satisfied. No, young people, old people, hear this. The, tr- the real secret of prayer is to say, God, what Jesus said in the garden, God, your will be done, not mine. And I want to trust you, and I want to submit to you, and you can, you can end this story how you want to end the story. I hope you'll end the story this way, but it's your story, God. You're the, you're the main character in the story. And God, I want to submit to you and I want to submit to your way. And teach me, God, to do that. Teach me to have a heart that does that. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God of Elisha. That's what we learn in this story of Elisha and the army, army angel. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us. I know there are, I'm sure there are some people in this room right now who are thinking about this story and they're applying it to what they're going through right now in this very moment. Something happened this week or this month, 
And they're just trying to wrap their mind around how to respond to it with peace instead of with fear and anxiety that has been gripping them. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would speak your truth, that you would minister your truth to those hearts even right now. God, we recognize the battle we fight isn't just a flesh and blood battle. God, it's a spiritual battle. And I pray, Lord God, that you would allow us to develop these spiritual weapons and especially, Lord God, to learn how to pray, to learn how to properly relate to you and submit to you in prayer. And God, I pray that when we do that, that you would allow us to have the victory that you want us to have, whatever that looks like. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.